Welcome to the Teacher As Podcast. I'm your host, Melissa Milner, a teacher who is painfully curious and very easily inspired. This podcast is ever-changing, and I hope with each season, you find episodes that speak to you in your work as an educator. This is the fourth season of the Teacher As, and it's exciting to see the growth in how many educators are listening. Episodes are released every other week. If you enjoy the Teacher As, please rate it on Apple Podcasts and leave a review. It helps the podcast reach more educators. Thanks for listening. I had the pleasure of having a long chat with college professor and homeschooler, Dr. Claire Honeycutt. We talked about a lot of different educational topics. To avoid this episode being an hour and 15 minutes long, I split it up into two parts. This main episode is about group work. It includes discussions about learning objectives, building relationships, standards, content, and student voice and choice. The other part of this chat will be available as a bonus episode eventually, and it will most likely be about Claire's approach to homeschooling her two young children. You can go to the episode 79 page of theteacheras.com to get Claire's contact information and also see the transcript for this show. In addition, on my website, you'll find the guest blog post that Claire wrote to accompany this episode. It is about using psychology-based strategies to increase engagement and intrinsic motivation in the classroom. Here's my chat with Claire. Enjoy. It'd be interesting to get your opinion on this as well. So um, speaking of Greek work, so one of the things that I found, you know, at the college level is the students, you know, we'll put them in these groups and they're supposed to accomplish, you know, a particular project. And as they go through that project, you know, um, not all of them are achieving the same learning objectives, right? Because like, they'll be like, well, you write the code and you put the figures together and you whatever. And, and the faculty always get really upset about this. And I said, and they're like, well, the groups are not functioning properly. I was like, no, actually, that's a really highly functional group. In the real world, a functional group would, would not have everyone doing the same thing. They would divide and conquer. And that's appropriate. And that's efficient. And do what they're good at. But if, if our learning objectives is that everybody learn the same things, then we have to restructure the way the way we're designing the curriculum and the way we're designing group work. Uh, and so it's, it's a different. These are ongoing issues. But it says we can't penalize students for for doing something that's only logical and is natural to them. And and also not just natural to them, but a skill that they would want to have in the real world. That's interesting. I do know, like when we do group work, like I set it up so that there will be times where I'll say, everybody just look at this together and discuss it together. Then there'll be other times where I'll say, if you want to split up the work, go for it. Well, it depends on what, again, it depends on what your learning objective is. If you're, if the learning objective is like, we want them to be able to work in groups and, you know, and, you know, divide, you know, create you know, project manage, right? That's a, that's a different skill set than saying, I want all the students that come out of this lab to be able to perform data analysis using this particular tool, right? Like MATLAB or R or... Right. And if only one kid's doing that in the group, they're not all getting that. Yeah. Right. But, yeah. but yeah, so, but then there has to have been a discussion. And so one of, you know, one of the things, you know, um, I know that, that I'm, I'm sure K through 12 certainly has classroom sizes that are too large, um, but we're even a whole other level, level of too large, right? So, you know, um, I've, I've had classrooms of 120 students. And so, you know, what is it, what, you know, when you have that size, you know, how are you ensuring that all of the students are achieving the same learning objectives? 
um, particularly if you're doing group work. I have 19 and I'm, I'm you know. Well, yeah, but 19 um, fourth, fourth graders, right? 19 fourth graders, you know, I, I think it's beautiful. The, the smaller classrooms, you know, I, I love, you know, these small little, you know, 10 to 12 students. I mean, what can you accomplish with 10 to 12 students? But seriously, though. 70 to 80 students. I, my sister-in-law has the big lecture hall type courses as well. Uh, how, I don't know how you do it. Well, I mean, we can talk about that. I mean, I can tell you what, what I do um, to varying levels of effectiveness. I think, um, you yeah. know, I mean, you have to have individual assessment on top of group assessment, right? So you have to have them actually um, say, you know, you're going to do this in a group and you're going to submit this group report, but then you also are going to have to um, take this test that indicates that you have made progress on these different things. Um, but, but I, you know, I'm also a big believer in driving intrinsic motivation through psychological principles. So, you know, we try, you know, I'm interested in principles of persuasion from Robert Cialdini is actually considered kind of the guru of this. Uh, and he's got a really cool book called Influence. Um, and it's not specific to education, but I try to take those pieces and meld them towards education. So we talk a lot about, you know, uh, trying to build uh, there's like different tricks that you can use in a classroom to build relationships between yourself and the students as well. And then relationships between the students and the students, like so peers. Uh, and, you know, we can use that a lot because you know, if you've done any group work, you know, you know, that those groups sometimes don't work great together. Um, they tend to fall apart. Um, every, every semester, there's somebody falling apart. Um, and so trying to there's things that you can do to ensure that that that's less likely to occur. So uh, so one of the principles of persuasion is um, liking. Uh, so what liking is, is what do we have in common? And ideally, the more the more specific you have in common or the more unusual you have in common with somebody, um, the closer you are bonded to that person right away. Uh, so, you know, for you and I, right, we're both in education. We both love education. We both have cats, right? We have, you know, we have pedagogy that's in common. So we we already, before we even started talking, had certain things in common. And and because of that, we were already kind of bonded. Right. Does that make sense? Um if um, if we were from the same you know place, uh, so if when I meet a homeschooling family because that's somewhat unusual, it's like oh we're gonna be best friends then, right? Yeah. You know, so there are these you know these 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 specific things. So one of the things I do in my classroom is on the first day I tell them a bunch of random facts about myself, and then I say, and then you have to find something that we have in common, you and me, and I make them do that with their own group um, as well. And it's it's surprising how um, effective it is uh, at just kind of solidifying that connection. You have 70, 80 kids. Are you just randomly grouping them before you've met them? Like, how does this work? So there is different pedagogy associated with that, as you know. Um, the best way to do that is mixed ability learning uh, so that you are right. So that you're pairing however you want to define it. Someone that's, you know, the top 25 percent, you know, bottom 25 percent in the middle 250. So you've got kind of this spread. Yeah. And um, there's a really cool paper. Oh, I think on his name now. I can look it up. But anyway, he uh, it's in it's in um, it's in science. But anyway, he he demonstrated that when he did that, that all of the students improved. So all all the groups improved, but it narrowed the gap between um, the terminology he was using at the time was disadvantaged students. Um, I think we probably modernize that language a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But anyway, uh, but that was the term at the time. And um, and and so it narrowed that gap between the students that you know, and so it's, you know, how do you pull, how do you create equitable education, right? So, and part of that was putting, like, forming these groups with, um, you know, students that were struggling and students that weren't struggling, um, students who are not struggling teach, 
Uh, and so, and you know that you learn best by teaching. So they actually benefit. So everybody benefited. Right. The whole classroom benefited. Right. But it narrowed the gap. It brought the students closer together. So it yep. brings up instead of pull, right. So it was, it was a great, it was a really beautiful study. So ideally, you're doing that. Um, the students don't love that. <laughs> Walking in the first day, you don't know who's what level learner, do you? Um. So that's where you get you get information from them from prior. Okay, so you can do this in a couple ask. ways. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Um, so that particular professor, he pulled it from their, they were freshmen. So he pulled like AT scores or something. I don't remember what he I used. I was going to say, what do you look um, at? Yeah. He used, he used something like prior GPA and he sorted them that way. Um, what I would do is, is, is you know, because I teach sophomores, is I can pull, pull prior semesters grades yeah. and GPAs and those kinds of things to help pick that oh, up. Oh, cool. So you do, and then are they in the same group throughout the whole semester? They have a little bit of, so I, I let them make those choices. I feel like it's not, um, I use something called nonviolent communication uh, with the students. Um, that is Marshall Rosenberg kind of pioneered that. Uh, and it's really about talking about needs and feelings. Uh, so like I'm feeling this way because my need for yeah. this isn't being met. Uh, so we have this kind of communication style with the students. But I also tell them, you know, if, if it's not yeah. working out, you're allowed to leave. You're allowed to leave. Um, I don't say you're allowed to kick out somebody, but we do have a conversation and then we we talk through those things. And if it if it doesn't if it's not working, then it's not working. Um, and then we help. And, and I tell them that my job I'm not on any, my job. I'm on all of their sides. Like my job is to help every single one of them be yeah. as, as successful as they possibly can be. And I, I, I do think that when I've had conversations with faculty about managing these group conflicts a lot of times the faculty are on the side of the of the side quote of the students who are like well he's not doing he or she's not doing their work right they're not they're not coming to class well and a lot of time everyone knows that usually that student is the one that's also not doing well on the exams or not doing coming to class right. and so it's not specific to that group it's specific to the classroom and i always say but the question is why why and i said most of the time if you sit and you talk to that student it's because something really big is happening in their life People don't just not, they're most, it's, ne it's never, they were lazy. It's like, Hey, I'm working a full-time job and trying to go to school or, Hey, right. you know, I'm work. I have this, you know, I'm, you know, I'm still dealing with my anxiety issues or I'm whatever. I have never spoken to the student. It was just like, I was just sitting around all day. I just wanted to go out partying with my friends and said, I, that's never, <laughs> that's never the answer. So, you know, I, and I, I think it's important for students to know that because like, people are, you know, that doesn't mean that their need are not, their need is still important. I still have a need for someone to, for them to participate, for them to be an active participant, to be learning. Um, so that need doesn't go away and that need is, is still very valid. We also have to understand what's happening in that student, this other case. And when you go through that process with people and, and get them there, it, they just all, they feel it and they, and they respond differently and they act differently. Yeah. And the vast majority of the times they, you know, it works itself out. Um, and in the cases it doesn't, then I spend a lot of time with the student that's not there anymore and not part of the group, helping them, helping them cross the finish line. And sometimes I think maybe that's better for them. Like, I feel like they get lots of extra one-on-one -on -one attention um, for myself and usually undergraduate TAs who are supporting the system. So I don't know that that's exactly a bad outcome either. Right. But you still have a certain curriculum you are expected, content that you are expected to teach, right? So the university system is a little bit more flexible, right? So I, I'm given 
a course and there are ABET kind of requirements. So there's these, but it's much less, we have a lot more control over what we are teaching. It's not like, I, I assume, I assume you're at a public school and they say, these are the, these, someone else on high says, these are the things your, your students have to know by the end of the year. Um, it doesn't matter what they knew coming in. It doesn't matter who they are as individuals. Right. <laughs> they have to know these things, yeah. right? Um, and we have a lot less, you know, we as a department have a lot. We kind of decide that as a group, right? This is what we think our engineers should know right. um, and in what fields um, and so on and so forth. So it's a little bit interesting. more flexible that way. Very interesting. And even even the same class will be taught slightly different. Well, depending on who's teaching the yeah. class. I teach my classes very differently <laughs> than a lot of faculty, um, as you might imagine. Uh, but, you know, and I even let my students pick some of the lectures that, um, you know, I have like a bucket. The truth is you can't possibly cover right. all of human physiology in a semester. Yeah. So, you know, there's some, like, we're definitely gonna do the heart. We're definitely gonna do the brain. We're definitely gonna do some of these systems, but some of the systems we just, um, we can't. Yeah. And then I, and then I think it's really important that they know that sleep's really important. So I like, I throw in a lecture on sleep and, like this. So I let them have, they still have some choices within the classroom, but we have a lot more say, um, cool. and flexibility. That's good. And I would love to hear, like, maybe, maybe you can't talk about this, but I'd love to hear, like, if you had more, if you got to have more say and what your students were learning and, and what the objectives were, what do you, oh, I would love that. What might you change? I would, it would really be very, um, student centered, you know, I, I would, I would, I mean, at fourth, fifth grade level, I think this would work. I would say, here are the things we need to learn. We're being told we need need to learn these standards in reading, writing, math, you know. How do you want to learn them? What things fascinate you? Oh, love it. You know, and that might be interest groups. That that's how we group is by interest groups. And and you know, there's still gonna be time where I pull kids to to help them with, you know, where they're struggling in reading. There's still gonna be all that direct instruction, one-on-one instruction. But then they're working on their stuff that th- that like their passion project. Yeah. When you talk to other faculty or other teachers about these kinds of things, do you get pushback on those kinds? Uh, the reason I say this is because, you know, the way I run what you're saying is described is, is very much the way kind of I run the laboratory part of my class. And it's like my the objective is that you need to be able to learn how to do human experimentation. Right. Yeah. Um, and what that looks like and all the different details of that. But. But what? But you can kind of study almost anything you want with it. You know, there are obviously safety bounds and things like that. Um, but, but so let them run free. Like, what are you excited about? Like, run forth. Um, but it is more time consuming on my part to do it that way, right? Because I need to, I have to work, you know, through these things. And so a lot of times the faculty will just say, "Oh, that sounds really hard. I'm just going to have them all do the same thing. Like that's just easier." Um, so do you, do you get a lot of pushback in that way, or I would, I, I wouldn't call it pushback. We, um the fourth grade team discussed it and it's our first year with the curriculum. So we all agreed kind of let's go through it the way they've structured it. And then we'll see what we like, what we don't like and tweak. And I, I absolutely agreed with that. Like, you know, I've got to give it the other thing is this curriculum. It's not really a curriculum. It's a framework. Mm. And I was very excited to hear the district calling it a framework because then that does give me, teacher, you know, my best teacher choices um, to say this didn't work for the kid. This worked great for the kids. This didn't work for the kids. And 
we need to tweak it. So I, I think because it's a framework, you know, and the person who comes to train us, she's like, yeah, do, do, do it that way then, you know, she's says it's fine, you know? So it's a framework as long as you're doing this, this, and this, you know, the district says these are things, you know, make sure you've done this, make sure, make sure this, this is this, and you do that, but then you can kind of, yeah. Well, I, I love that mess, I, you know, messaging and I, I, you know, I love your thoughts it, from an outsider um, into K through 12. It feels like to me that if the, fa- if the students, if the teachers, right, when I say faculty, if the teachers are say, you know, it's like, this is our framework. We would like the students to know X, Y, and Z by the end of the year. However you get there, we're happy, you know, and I feel like if the teachers would just have autonomy that would be on how yeah. to get there, because the other thing is that not all teachers, we talk about how all, not all students are the same, but not all teachers are the same. And the way this interact with, um, with right. kids is going to look different from the way, you know, like some teachers are going to be better. Some teachers are not going to do great with student directed learning the way, you know, the, the way that you're describing it, but some teachers, you know, might, they might have a different skill. Maybe they really like active yeah. learning and they're just really better at creating projects that work for you know, multitude of kids, you know, maybe they're just, maybe they're just better at pro- creating projects, you know, right. I, you know, and there's lots of different ways to learn. And I just wonder if, if you felt, I mean, obviously it sounds like you would love that idea. Do you think that that would work better if we, if we said to teachers, this is the framework of generally, and maybe even it's within the school that you made the decision. I've yeah. been saying it for years. <laughs> it's also, it's not just, you know, kids are different, teachers are different, but also groups together like you get a group one year and they love this as so I had a group that loved to write and they wanted to write a play and perform it and I I have a theater background and I'm like you you guys could write a play we could do it and they wrote the entire play and performed it and had you know classes come in to watch it the next year I didn't have a bunch of kids that were passionate about writing so I said do you want to put on a play they all wanted to put on a play they didn't want to write it so i pulled a really cute play and they were like can we write commercial because it was built sort of as like a tv it was Mm. the tortoise and it was a funny version of tortoise and hare and i said well this is built sort of like like a new you know when there's a sports cast and then there's commercials do you guys want to write the commercials and they were jazzed about that so they wrote the commercial so it depends on the group you have. So, you know, I love birds and I can teach every piece of my standards, yeah. everything on the report card. I could teach it through, through birds, every single, every single thing, especially adaptations. And from, from day one, I'm like, why can't we do birds? birds. Like birds is everything, I you know, that. um, to me too. But, but the point is, it doesn't matter what I'm into. You got to see what your what each class is into the individuals, but then you're <laughs> going to find these groups. Like the like the kids are always we do a podcast, and the kids are usually jazzed about the podcast. But um, every year the podcast is completely different because you have a different group of kids. They want to do joke junction, and they want you know different segments, and they come up with new segments. And uh, every year we we end up with new segments and. What I'm describing is a lot of work because each year you're doing something different. And I get that, but I love that. That's why I went into teaching. I wanted, I want to bring out the passions of each kid. You know, my principal, um, my former principal was like, that's your thing. 
Like that's why you teach is you, you help each kid shine. You find a way for each kid to shine. And I, I, that, that should be something that we have time to do in our day, in our school day. And we don't always, we don't always have time for that. I think that's beautiful. It it reminds me a lot of, um, you know, what the unschooling community says, right? They're, they're really big into like letting their kids find their passions and then helping them. You know, a lot of the kids are doing like running their own little businesses when they're in middle school. I listened to this, you know, it's really, I listened to a lot of these. um, I'm very interested to the homeschooling kids or the unschooling kids. Where do they end up? What do they end up doing? So I listened to a lot of these podcasts of like, you know, adults who have, have had this kind of background. Uh, and one of them talked about how she thought she wanted to be a vet. And so she, her parents actually did this thing. They moved out to a farm and then she was like close to, she was working with this like local farmer or whatever and the local vet and stuff. And she said, she figured out before she was in high school that she was like, you know what? I thought that being a vet was hanging out with animals all day, but it's hanging out with sick animals every day. And she was like, I decided that was not what I wanted to do. And so she had gone down this completely different path. Um, and it was like an architecture or something of some such, but she said, she's like, if I hadn't had my parents let me do that, would I have ended up being a veterinarian, you know, having had, you know, four years of a degree plus a post degree and, and then like figured out when I was, you know, 26, you know, or whatever, after I had all this debt that I didn't really want to be a vet, you know, and I, and I think a lot, you know, I think a lot about that for our, our students, you know, you know, with, with the college students and a lot of them, you know, have never had any really chance, real chance to what is it that you really want to do? What is it that you really want to, what, you know, um, what passions do you have? So I love that, you know, your, your students are getting that in your classroom, you know, it, as, as much as you're able to provide it for them, I know you would love to, to give it to more of them, but at, at least you're trying, uh, you know, and I, you know, and I think, I think that if they had more teachers like you going through the system, you know, when they come up to my classroom and I says, well, what are you interested in? They might have an idea. Some of them do. My personal experience is that if you put interesting things in their path in interesting ways, they're interested in it. Right. Like, so if I just say, Hey, what are you interested in? They don't know what to say, but if I, you know, I'm, I'm my grad class this semester, um, I'm basically just running it as a discussion group. And I said, what are you guys? I was like, and I, I was like, I'm going to put all this stuff on the board, add stuff. And I was like, we can talk about sleep. We can talk about fasting. We can talk about, you know, and I just went through like yeah. all the things I even put homeschooling on there and parenting. And that actually like, that got a couple of different, <laughs> got some votes and I was surprised. I was like, really? We want to talk about this? Okay. Um, but, uh, but we'll do it. And, uh, and so the idea is that, but they, but they have been, they're just really excited to talk about these things. You know, it's because a lot of times it's not been in their past. Right. And so I think that if you can provide things and provide them in interesting ways um, and talk, talk off of the, you know, this is the, this is the things we're supposed to do. Right. We're supposed to do these, you know, have to learn how to do word problems. You have to be able to read this, this book or whatever. If you can talk about this, like, like you're talking about doing a podcast or putting on a play or doing these other things, I think kids will get interested in it and in, yes. in different ways, as you, as you described, right? Like maybe it's going to look a little different every year, but who cares? That's great. It should. Yeah. And also that exposure that the, another piece of that exposure is it, as you're describing it, it reminds me of like, genre like kids come in they're like i only read fantasy books by the end of the year they're interested in other books because i pick read alouds from different genres and i try to pick like the best one of fantasy or the best one of historical fiction or the best you know and then i of course when i read i'm performing with voices and all that but when they're done they're like i actually like that genre okay 
I have to find books that I like within. And I said, you're going to like any genre if it's a good story. And then we, then we flip it and say, so how are you going to be a good author? So that whatever genre, you know, and you just move it to the to the writing part. So what did you like about this book? You know, and, and all that. So that, that exposure, if you don't expose them to different genres, they're not going to learn that they like them. Well, and I love this like self-expression thing. So, and I love that you're talking about that in that way. Um, I think that, so one of the Montessori ones is, is um, when my kids were at Montessori school, there was like, they had these little boxes that they tick for, you know, that they learn these different things. And one of the ones was can express themselves through art. And I, I love that. And I'm like, yes. And I was like, and, and so now it's like, I wanted them to be able to express themselves through art, you know, being, you know, physical, you know, actual, you know, drawing and that kind of stuff, but also, music also you know writing you know that's, yeah. a, that's its own art form right and so i want them to be able to express themselves and there's so many beautiful ways to do that mm. and i love that you're talking but you know it starts with showing them what what it can be like and that there's these different genres right and then yeah like you said you wrote you wrote all those things down and they, they things they wouldn't have even thought of right good stuff it's good stuff well we could talk all night obviously I feel like we could, Melissa. I know it's later for you than for me. So, <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you so much. It was so nice to get to. I love just getting to talk to people and, and connecting with everybody. And so it's awesome. So thank you for, for doing this and putting out a great podcast and bringing all these people together. For my blog, transcripts of this episode, and links to any resources mentioned, visit my website at www.theteacheras.com. You can reach me on Twitter and Instagram at Melissa B. Milner. And I hope you check out the Teacher As Facebook page for episode updates. Thanks for listening. And that's a wrap.